Good morning. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to jump in at verse 9 in just a moment. Matthew chapter 9. Some of you are familiar with the song on Christian radio by a group called Casting Crowns. It's been out for a little while. It's been popular. And we've uh, heard it here. Uh, Grant and Bonnie Bozier have sung it a number of times. Called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And the chorus of the song goes like this. O Jesus, Friend of Sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. O Jesus, Friend of Sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. This morning in the passage that we're going to study in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to find out why Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9, look at what the gospel writer says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now read between the lines and read a little bit into the intent of their question. Why is Jesus eating with these people? Because we certainly never would eat with those kind of people. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, as we study this passage this morning, we realize that the Lord Jesus was a friend of sinners. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be friends of sinners as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully by now you are all wondering why I'm wearing latex gloves. If you're a visitor, you're probably thinking, I came to the wrong place this morning. <laughs> but let me answer that with a question. Because if you know me at all, you know I'm up to something. You, you know there's something going on here. But, but what is this send to you? What kind of signal, what kind of impression does it give you when I come around and I greet you and I shake your hands wearing latex gloves, I'm afraid to catch something, yeah, right? What if every morning before I came out of my office, I went in there and I put on latex gloves before I came out among you people and I started shaking your hands, you know, and I'm like, yeah, good morning, you know. Uh, Pastor, can you give me a hug? No, let's, why don't we just shake hands this morning, right? I mean, it doesn't send a very good signal to you. Some of you are too young to remember the day when, when paramedics and nurses and doctors used to treat patients without wearing latex gloves. Some of you are old enough to remember that. It's been probably 30 years now. But as, as concern about contagious diseases started to grow, the practice started to change, and now it's a common practice for healthcare professionals to wear latex gloves to protect themselves from getting something. So if I were to wear these gloves each week, when I came into contact with you, what message would I send? I'd be saying, I'm healthy, and you're not, and I don't want what you've got. You make me nervous. I don't really want to come into contact with you. 
<laughs> right? I mean, that's the message I would be sending. And if I did that every week, I think the personnel committee would want to have a talk with me. But isn't that the message that so many Christians and so many churches send about people who are lost and dying in sin? We are spiritually healthy, and you're not. And we don't want what you've got. When the world looks at the church, you know what it sees? Oftentimes, it sees a wanted ad. It sees a, a classified ad that says, Members wanted. Sinners need not apply. Sometimes that's not deserved, but listen, oftentimes it is. This morning, as we continue our series, The Jesus Factor, we're going to look at how Jesus interacted with sinners. And you'll remember last week that we looked at how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders of the first century. And you may remember, if you were here last week, that Jesus really unloaded on them. Man, he let them have it with both barrels. He, he, he had harsh and condemning words for these Pharisees. And had we not read the passage that we've already read this morning, we might be tempted to think that Jesus would respond in a similar way to sinners. You know, holy God coming into contact with sinners. Man, he's going to let them have it. Or at the very least, we might assume that Jesus would go out of his way to avoid them. Now, to be sure, Jesus was not soft on sin. Don't walk out of here with that impression at all. But notice how he dealt with sinners in this passage. And it's demonstrated in other passages as well. Jesus hung out with sinners because sinners need a Savior. If you want to boil this whole passage down to one phrase, that's it. Jesus hung out with sinners because sinners need a Savior. And if we're going to be like Jesus, which by the way is God's purpose for your life, Romans chapter 8, you were saved, you were called, you were predestined in order that God could make you and shape you and conform you in your character to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So if, we, if that is God's purpose for us, then we need to ask how should we treat sinners? How did Jesus treat sinners? And we need to treat sinners the way Jesus did. So how do we do that? How, how can we make sure that we treat sinners, people who are lost, people who are living in sin, how do we treat them the way Jesus did? What can we do? Well, there are three things I think that Jesus shows us from this passage. And the first thing is this. Get close to those who are far from God. If you want to treat sinners the way Jesus did, if you want to have that same mindset that Jesus had, you need to get close to those who are far from God. Now, we're, remember, we're starting with this premise that Jesus is our model. That our life ought to reflect His life. And not our model just in terms of His behavior, because that can become a very legalistic thing. But our model in terms of how He thought, His attitudes, His theology... He is our model. So what does Jesus model for us this morning? He models that he hangs out with sinners. Matthew was a tax collector. In this first century Jewish society, that was the same thing as being a traitor and a thief. A traitor because you are working for the Roman government. You're working for the enemy, the occupiers, right? And a thief because tax collectors in this day would collect more than the Romans required for a tax and they would pocket the difference. That's how they got rich. Right? And so, 
Needless to say, uh, Matthew is not a very popular person. The tax collectors represented the lowest of the low in first century Israel. And, and here is Jesus not only eating with them, not only having a meal with them, which is a, a sign of fellowship, but he has called one of them to follow him. He got close to them. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Now think about this for a minute. If Jesus wanted to avoid contact with sinners, he would not have left heaven, a perfect, sinless environment, a pure and holy place, and he certainly wouldn't have come to this planet where sin flourishes like weeds in the rainy season, right? I mean, if that's what his, that was his goal, I want to stay away from sinners, he wouldn't have left heaven and he wouldn't have come to earth. That'd be like going to a rodeo and then working really, really hard to avoid cowboys and rednecks. You know? That's your goal. There's other places you can go, like the mall. Or a poetry reading or something like that. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his, his purpose statement, if you will. It's in another passage in the Gospels. He said, I came to seek and to save. Notice the two parts of that. There's the seeking and the saving. The saving he did at the cross and at the empty tomb. But the seeking he did in parties like this one at Matthew's house. Sometimes it feels like we work hard to get away from those who are far from God in an effort to live out the Christian life. We want to be the people that God has called us to be. So we need to stay away from those kind of people. We develop an us and them mentality. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to seek out those who have lost. We've got to befriend people who embrace a sinful lifestyle. We've got to hang out with those who have chosen to live in a way that is an affront to a holy God. Why? Well, unlike Jesus, we can't save them, but we can certainly tell them about the one who can. What is our purpose statement at this church? To honor God with our lives, support one another with our love, and reach the world with the message. Let me boil that down into simpler terms. Love God, do it together, invite others to join us. That's what we're about. But we can't do that if we're not around people who need to hear the message. Yeah, but pastor, if we hang out with sinners, doesn't that, doesn't that begin to look like we're condoning their sin? And then doesn't it look like, like we're compromising with what we know to be true? Yeah, it does. That's why Jesus got in trouble. Because that's what it looks like. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man, it's in your notes. The Son of Man, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now Jesus didn't condone their sin. And he didn't participate in their sin. We're not talking about a mindset that says sin doesn't matter. Jesus never had that mindset. Jesus was so serious about sin that he died on the cross because of sin. But he loved their souls. And that compelled him to hang out with them. How often do you hang out with people who are lost that live like it? On purpose. How often do you do that? You know, if you're really, really involved at church, if you're really, you know, you're teaching and you're here volunteering for things, you may not have a lot of time to do that. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Because this is a part of our mission. 
We need to make it our mission to seek out the lost, people who are not yet here. And when you do, listen, don't try to get them to behave like Christians if they're not. Right? As I said before, our goal is not to moralize the lost, it's to convert the immoral. And I'm afraid that too many Christians would just settle for lost people behaving better. If we can just get people in our society to behave better, everything would be all right. No, it wouldn't be. Why? Because they'd still be lost and dying and bound for hell. See, we don't need to treat the symptoms. We need to treat the cause by sharing Jesus. Yeah, but pastor, don't we need to be careful about who we hang out with? Yeah, we do. And this is where we need to apply a little bit of discernment. If you're a recovering alcoholic or drug addict, probably not a good idea to hang out with people who are immersed in a drug culture. Okay, We need to use some wisdom. If, if you're being pulled down spiritually in your spiritual life by a group of people who are influencing you rather than you influencing them, you need to be careful about that. When we lived in Dallas, Linda was, uh, worked in a corporate office. She was a systems analyst and, and um, worked in a, just a corporate office like, like any other corporate office. And, and you know most of the people she worked with weren't, weren't believers. And so uh, she would have lunch with them. And, and it got to the point where the conversations at lunch, day after day after day, just were not edifying. They were not building her up. They were, they were tearing her down. And so she made a, a decision quietly, didn't make a big deal about it. It wasn't a, I'm you know, self-righteous, look at me, look at you, none of that. But she just made a decision just to quietly kind of shift her lunchtime habit to not hang out with these people that were having an influence on her rather than the other way around. And sometimes we need to do that. Now listen, there was, there was people at her office though who knew she was a Christian. There was one young lady who was from Malaysia. She was an animist. She, her, her religion was worshiping nature and that kind of thing. And, and, and eventually, because of her relationship with Linda, she came to know the Lord. So we can do both. We need to be careful, but we need to understand the principle still applies. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to connect with people who are far from God. If we're going to be like Jesus, having said everything else we've already said here, we need to connect with people who are far from God. And listen, you don't have to go somewhere that will compromise your integrity to be on mission. Just get to know the people who live around you, who work around you, who go to school around you, people around you all the time. Get to know them. I was studying this passage this week, and I was thinking about this, and it dawned on me that I don't do this. I don't. Except for CJ and Brad, I don't hang out with a lot of sinners. No, but seriously, you know, I, I work here, uh, kids go to a Christian school, you know, we're busy, busy, you know, run home, got to get dinner before that thing at school tonight or to get the homework done. You're tired a lot of times so when you do have downtime, you're sitting kind of trying to relax and veg a little, and, and, and for whatever reason, I, I just don't hang out with a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And so, as I was saying about this week, I talked with Linda, and, and, and we made a decision that this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to take one night a week, and we're going to make sure we spend it outside in our neighborhood. Now, for a lot of you, that may not be a big deal. You may, you may live, live your life outside in your neighborhood. 
because that's just who you are. But that, that's, not, that's not typically who we are. Our kids ride their bikes a lot, but we're not out when our neighbors are walking their dogs and watering their lawns and, and being with their kids out in the yard. Typically, we just haven't been out there, right? And we, we've got more than 50 houses just right around us in our neighborhoods, and we don't know most of the people who live there. And so that's going to change. But here's what you need to know. The lost are not the enemy. Jesus didn't treat lost people like they were enemies, and neither should we. Jesus was a friend of sinner, sinners. Am I a friend of sinners? Are you a friend of sinners? That's the question we must ask ourselves. Get close to those who are far from God. Second, if you want to treat sinners the way Jesus did, people who are lost the way Jesus did, here's the second thing you need to do. You need to get real about your own sinful condition. This helps keep us humble. You need to get real about your own sinful condition. Last week we looked at the, the self-righteous Pharisees, and, and they show up again in this passage. And, and look at the attitude they have towards sinners. They've got on their spiritual latex gloves, don't they? And you see their attitudes towards sinners. He said, I'm righteous, and you are not, and therefore I am not going to hang out with you. It's a very judgmental and condescending attitude. And there are two problems with having this kind of attitude in our own lives. First, apart from God, we are all dead in our sins. Apart from God, we are all dead in our sins. As we saw last week, there is no such thing as self-righteousness. We are declared righteous by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift that we received. So where is the boasting in that? Where is the arrogance in that? Having received the gift from God. Through faith in Christ. That, that's, like, that's like someone who's had successful cancer surgery going around in the hospital to the other people who haven't and says, oh, look at me, I'm free of cancer and you're not. And I don't really want to associate with you. It's like a passenger on a, on a ship that is capsized who received a life preserver once he's been pulled out of the water and saved, looking down on the people of the water with some sort of disdain because they're still drowning. You and I are sinners saved by grace. And that ought to give us a compassion for sinners who are not yet saved by grace. Don't dare look down at your nose at them. If, you, if it weren't for the grace of God, you and I would be in the very same place. And listen, even with the grace of God, even having been declared righteous, even having the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us and giving us what we need to live out the Christian life, we still struggle with sin. So how dare we look down our noses at people who have never, ever received God's grace? But I want you to notice something else. The, in all the people in this story that we see, the only person who had the right to be condescending and judgmental. The only person was at the party with the sinners. What does that tell us? It tells us that if the Holy One Himself saw fit to love sinners by hanging out with them, then you and I better be very careful about how we treat these people whom Jesus loves so much. For example, how should you and I treat a pregnant 
unmarried teenager who is a guest at our church. I'm going to invite Allie McGee to come and to tell about her experience in church as a pregnant teen. I'll let her explain. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Allie McGee. Um, I'm 18 years old, and I'm 34 weeks pregnant. Um, and I just kind of want you guys to get to, like, just think about it. Like, when I first walked in, like, what did you think about me? Like, did you wonder how I got in this situation or where the father was? Or um, was your first thought one of love or one of condemnation? Um, the interesting thing is I did a senior project this year. Um, about how the church treats the broken. And the truth is I'm not really pregnant. Um, this is my senior project, and I dressed up like this and went to churches and just immersed myself in their congregation to see how they would treat me. Um, and I had really, really good experiences and really, really bad ones. And um, I'm going to talk to you about the really, really bad one and how just how much I learned in this experience and how much it changed my life. And after presenting it at school and uh, Pastor Fallon coming and talking to me and just telling me he wanted me to come talk at his church, I was just like, I could see that God was really going to do something with this. Um, but I, what, I, what I learned the most was, I think as Christians, and I do it too, I think that sometimes we think that if we're not hateful to people that are sinning, they're not going to change. And that's not the truth at all. Like, hate doesn't change people. Love does. And people don't come to the Lord because he spit in their face. He came to them because he sat down in the dirt with them. And... Um, the probably the worst church I went to was just really hateful and didn't talk to me and I left there going if I was who I was pretending to be if I was this pregnant teenager searching for God and I had come into your church I would have never gone back and um, that really hit me hard like I cried after it and I was like because I had been I'm an emotional person anyway but going through the process of it and having people think I'm something that I'm not and just look down at me when they don't know my story at all was really heartbreaking. And we're supposed to be the church and we're supposed to be like a haven for the wounded, not a prison for the already hurt. And um, after that, it was just like, wow, like we don't save people. Like God is in control of salvation, but we have the honor of leading people to him. And sometimes you only get one chance. And um, that day, nobody, nobody was God to me. Nobody showed me the love of Jesus. And um, it's just something to think about. We have the opportunity to save people like by telling them about Jesus. Like, So how are we going to react to that? Are we going to turn away with the one chance we might have, or are we going to take a hold of it? So thank you. Thank you. I heard Allie's presentation at school, and one thing she didn't tell you here uh, was that she went to a church that uh, really took an interest in her and uh, saw her as somebody in need and wanted to help her and did show her the love of Jesus. So there, there's that as well. And, and, and what some of you know and some of you don't know, she came to our church for this project and walked in and saw that she knew a whole bunch of people here <laughs> and went, this is really going to confuse them. <laughs> so she didn't stay. But listen... Condemning people who are lost in sin doesn't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. 
It just doesn't. If we're going to treat sinners the way God wants us to, it will start with the understanding that we ourselves are sinners saved by grace, and that's how we need to treat others. Sinners in need of God's grace. All right, the third thing that we need to do, if we're going to treat people the way Jesus treated people, people who are lost, people who are in sin, we've got to get grounded in a biblical theology of salvation. We've got to get grounded in a biblical theology of salvation. And that's what we see in verse 12. Jesus gives us a biblical theology here. And there are three principles that he reveals about salvation in this verse that we need to understand. And, And here they are. First, salvation is for those who realize they have a need. Salvation is for those who realize they have a need. When, when Jesus talks about the, the self-righteous people, he says when healthy people don't need a doctor, he's not suggesting that these self-righteous Pharisees were spiritually healthy and they really weren't in need of salvation or forgiveness. That, that's not what he's saying. He's pointing out that only those who recognize their own sinfulness will be open to the offer of salvation. You've got to see your need. You can't receive the good news until you understand the bad news. If a doctor came to me and he says, Hey, good news. We found a a really effective treatment for diabetes. I'd say, Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm good. But what if he says, Oh, I forgot to tell you, you've got diabetes. Ah, now all of a sudden this means something to me. God's grace makes no sense until you realize that you are a hopeless sinner who cannot save himself. Then all of a sudden the grace of God means something. Second, Jesus has the only cure for salvation. He has the only cure for sin, rather, through salvation. Jesus has the only cure for sin. Jesus is clearly setting himself up in this analogy as the doctor. He's the one with the cure that can come to the sinner and bring salvation. In John 14, 6, Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. And then Peter also said this in one of the letters that he wrote, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, to bring you to God. A good theology of salvation says that Jesus is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. And then third, the cure is available to anyone who will respond. It's available to anyone. It's available to everyone. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, when he says righteous, he's talking about those who think they are righteous, who don't know that they need forgiveness. But but here's the point. Jesus does call sinners to salvation. I have come to call sinners. It is an inclusive call. It is an open call to anyone who received. The Bible says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the kicker. We've got to get into a relationship with those who need to hear. We've got to be in a relationship with those who need to hear. Notice the context of this statement where he says this. I have come to call sinners. Where is he? He's at a party with sinners. What does that tell us? That Jesus believed that evangelism and relationships go hand in hand. And now we're back to point number one. You've got to get close to those who are far from God. You've got to get close to those who are far from God. Not, not in a disingenuous way. 
Not just to get another notch in your evangelism belt. Oh, look, I've got another one for Jesus. You know, check it off my to-do list. But genuinely to love them by sharing in their life and telling them about Jesus. I'm reading a book right now called Real Life Evangelism, and the author says in there, in one part, that Christianity was intended to spread like the common cold through contact. Now, it doesn't negate the importance of preaching. It doesn't negate the importance and the value of sharing the good news in a service like this one of a public proclamation. God has made a place for that as well, but there's something powerful. There's something about a relationship that opens doors and gives opportunities like nothing else. How should we respond to sinners? By recognizing that if someone had not cared enough to throw us a life preserver, then we would have drowned and we should care enough to throw one to those who are still lost. Someone threw us a life preserver when we were drowning in the sea of our own sinfulness. And now as we look around us and the world around us, we see others who were as we were, who were in need of that life preserver for their own lives. What is that life preserver? Spiritually, what is it? Well, it's the good news we've already read about. Look again at 1 Peter 3.18 in your notes. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's it, folks. That's it. That is the good news. And if you are able and willing to humble yourself and to admit your own unrighteousness, if you will come to God and approach Him in a posture of repentance and faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then He will save you and you will be gloriously changed from a sinner bound for hell to a sinner saved by grace. And what it takes is for you to trust Him. Throw away your checklist. Throw it away. Oh, look, I'm at church. I'm giving. I'm doing this. I'm serving. I'm trying to be a good person. I give to good causes. Whatever your checklist is, take it and throw it away. Because it will never make you right with God. It's only when we come with our hands empty, offering nothing in exchange, that God will save us. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity to come, for, come to Him in that posture of repentance and faith. Repentance meaning I'm acknowledging my sinfulness. I am sinful before a holy God. Faith, meaning I'm trusting God. I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. And I'm receiving His salvation. And if you're at that place in your life this morning, you're right up on that line of faith and you're ready to step over, I want to give you an opportunity. So what I ask you to do is, to everybody here, just for a moment, just to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to give you an opportunity to lead, uh, to lead you in a, in a word of prayer. Just from your heart to His, you can just... Just pray this silently from your heart to His. He knows your thoughts. Make it your own. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's a way of talking to God. It's a way of starting that relationship with Him. You can say something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done things that are wrong. I haven't lived up to my own standards much less yours. But I know that Jesus died for me. I know that He loves me. 
And I believe that if I trust Him, You will save me. So right now, the best I know how, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. Teach me to live as your child. Father, I pray for anybody who's offered up that simple prayer to you this morning from a sincere and genuine heart of faith. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon them the truth of your word. I've already mentioned it this morning. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we thank you for that that simple and life-changing promise. Father, I pray for all of us here who name Jesus Christ as our Savior. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Jesus, a friend of sinners. Lord, we know that sometimes that requires some balance in our lives. Sometimes it requires us to be intentional. Father, I pray that you would give us the love that you have for those who don't know you yet. Lord, someone took the time, someone cared enough to tell us about Jesus. Father, give us the heart that you have and help us to take the time to get to know people, to love them and to share with them about Jesus. And Father, as we leave this place with this mindset and this attitude, we pray that you would match that with opportunity. And that we would take advantage of those opportunities as you give them and as we seek them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.